we've seen the bankruptcy of that. You, you, you don't actually change the culture, you change the church that way. And then you don't, and, and you may, you may uh, win people over to your brand of, of showmanship um, and, and end up with a larger church, but you don't end up with a, with a Christian culture. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Landon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Excellent. I spent the morning touring a full-size, biblically accurate version of Noah's Ark at Ken Ham's Ark Encounter in Williamstown, Kentucky. It was legitimately awesome what did you guys do with your mornings uh we had a regular bible study and staff meeting Uh, but i have seen it i have seen it it's pretty it it is impressive it's enormous for one and makes it didn't they say it's the largest it's the largest um wooden structure um or something in the world or like hand like it doesn't have any nails or anything in it i mean they did it they tried to do it like the same way with that uh, they would have done it back in the day. <laughs> I think there are parts of it that they've tried to be except the gift shop historically accurate, but the gift shop is you know poured concrete. <laughs> where we? Where, why did you go there, you fundamentalist? What are you doing in, in this? <laughs> well, I live close enough to want to see it, and I'm basically yeah, a fundamentalist. Goodness. I'll own that. <laughs> didn't you read? Yeah, didn't you read the Christianity Today article? Like you, you really need to um about creation and all. Anyway, that's maybe 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 you didn't. Well, speaking of um, Christian culture, uh, we thought today that we'd talk about some more current events. Um, As you guys probably saw a few weeks back, Chris Rufo publicized some leaked footage of a Zoom meeting from inside the Walt Disney Company. In it, Disney executives pledged to increase LGBTQ representation across the company's offerings. An executive producer even went so far as to refer to their, quote, not so secret gay agenda. In response, the the Daily Wire, the conservative outlet run by Jeremy Boring and featuring Matt Walsh and Candace Owens, among others, the Daily Wire responded by pouring $100 million into children's programming as Boring put it, quote, the magic has left the kingdom. It's time to build new things. Now, this put me in mind of Roger Ayer's Benedict Option and the idea of creating intentionally Christian things, communities, schools, children's programming, conglomerates, etc. Um, so as our culture continues to seemingly fall apart around us, we thought we'd revisit the idea of Christian interaction with culture. Now, as you all raise kids and lead churches, how are you thinking about the tension between cultural engagement and building new Christian culture. I remember in, this is in the late or no mid nineties, I guess I'd just become a Christian. And I, I, there was this massively big church in Houston. Uh, I don't want to name it, but if I did, you probably know who, whose church it is, but it's a massive, massively big church, not a, not an Anglican church, but Southern Baptist. Um, I had a friend on staff and I would go and you know, take him to lunch or go to lunch with him. And you walk into the place, it's like a mall, you know, you, it's got the sunlit, um arboretum that you had an escalator in it had you know piped you know christian music all through the place it had a gym it gym coffee shop bookstore i mean i uh, everything you could probably go and live your on a saturday morning you probably wake up and and just spend your day there because it it was everything you do and you'd be surrounded by christian people christian music i think there's even a christian uh, movie theater like a little small 
place to film. It just had left. It just had left behind. Right. Movies. Yeah. And this is the mid. This is the mid nineties, right? So and, only and, Kurt I mean, Cameron movies. And I yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, um, I, I remember thinking, I walked in. I hate this place because <laughs> because I, I loved I loved I loved rock and roll and the stuff that I was listening to was awful I, I didn't want to go i didn't want to go work out in the gym because you have to listen to the christian rock being piped through the oh come on now petra <laughs> no 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 i i was uh this is not this is not Carmen. And, and i i hated the christian so i so so that all I have to say is at the time i remember being very persuaded by the the view that that's the last thing we, we don't need to we don't need to, we don't have little we don't need to create christian enclaves we need to create we need to engage with the culture and we need to create um we need to have more and more of a we don't have to hide away from it but um engage and transform it but i think that in the mid-90s we also had a, a very different culture than we do now i think i think the speed with which we've become depraved in our culture has 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 sped up and as witnessed by the disney stuff and the in the sex ed um um, in public schools where they're they're actually just grooming children to where the idea of creating Christian communities and uh, a la Rodrer is is more palatable. And I think and I think of course Rodrer doesn't have in mind the Christian mall. He has in time he has in mind the Christian society, the Christian, you know, a, a little bit more like what you might have seen um in the quote unquote dark ages. And I know that's a reason that's a that's great right. term. Late antiquity. Um, yeah. That's where, right. where, where you had, you had Christian centers of learning growing up and Christian centers of, of uh, preservation of culture um, after the, after the fall of the Roman empire. I know that's what he means. And I think that's a more palatable vision now um, than it may have been in the mid nineties when you didn't, when it didn't seem like our culture was that far gone. When well, he, admits fact, that. It was. he admits that in the Benedict option. I mean, he says yeah. with the Burgafell, you know, that was, that was, if anyone in his opinion had been sort of trying to convince themselves that things weren't that bad, at least with respect to traditional Christian understandings of things when not simply when Obergefell went through, but the, the relative lack of outrage and shock, you know, most people are like, well, you know, love is love. And, you know, it really was a, it wasn't particularly, I mean, it was, it was this seismic change for many of us, but, but in general, I mean, you didn't see, um, you know, anything to the level of actual outrage in any, in any dramatic sense. And he mentions that in the book, that this was one of the catalysts for um, him writing it was the the world that got to the place that that sort of sighed when Obergefell was passed. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think that having grown up in the 90s, too, in Christian culture um, and loving most of it, frankly, you know, I miss the Christian bookstores. I used to just wander around for hours. My parents basically would let me buy whatever I wanted to if it was in a Christian bookstore, which was really great. So I had all Lord's the gym. And, and that's right. That's right. Um <laughs> His gain, his pain, your gain. You know that was the uh, on the back. It was awesome. I was still too I mean, pagan though. I was like in my. I grew up in the. I was like in my twenties when that happened. So I was. Already, I was. A, I was a Christian radio yeah. DJ at WLUR, oh, okay. the Voice of Lexington, at, at Washington and Lee, and that's when Laza. She thought I was the coolest thing, uh, <laughs> the coolest, coolest guy since um. What was that? Uh, what was that movie with, uh, um, you know, um, Radio for Europe? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Or Christian Slater. Uh, what was that one? Um, Pump up the volume. That's right. Um, yeah. At any rate, um, you know, a lot of Brad Dreher, a lot of uh, misunderstandings of his book, I think, are still prevalent among people that talk about 
what he's considering the Benedict option, because he's not actually advocating for a complete withdrawal from society as if that were possible. I mean, you could move up to like the Northwest, you know, of Colorado, like that, um, that Mormon cult that Jack Krakauer wrote about, I guess. And you could, you know, there you go. You could do that. But uh, for most of us, actual leaving the society is not even an option, even if we, it were preferable. And so his, his actual model was the Christian communities that were under um, uh, overt persecution under uh, the communists. You know, that's why he spent so much time in Hungary and the Czech Republic and places like that. And, you know, the overt uh, persecution was was at various times bloody and, and, and deadly, but it, it, for the most part, it was simply the same type of oppression that communist countries gave to their people all the time, surveillance and um, harassment and, you know, authoritarianism and things. And he was, uh, he was highlighting, and particularly in his second book, Live Not By Lies, the ways that these, as he calls them, thick communities, you know, these resilient communities were able to absorb the persecution. You know, they actually had um, various income streams. They had, um, you know, underground meeting places. I mean, if they're unnecessary, they had ways of staying alive, frankly, in the middle of the culture, but also always to an end towards the um, the end of the oppression. And they would have something left to offer the world, a la Benedict, you know, after the Mongol hordes have raped and pillaged and ravaged the, the, the world as we know it for centuries, perhaps, then we will emerge and know how to read and write and rebuild the world. And I think, you know, I hope it's not centuries, obviously, but I think that there's something to that idea about having to be much more intentional and much more concerned and and defensive, for lack of a better word, about what we consume, where we um, get our information, even you know how our, our, our where we um, how we live in in this in this um, you know increasingly hostile. I want to say it's it's not it's not you know he calls it soft totalitarianism. You know I'm grateful that we know people. We have friends of ours who are under active persecution, and so I don't want to say that I'm sitting here under threat of death or violence. But um, you know there are other ways to. Be be uh, persecuted and the uh, subversion of your faith by the appropriation of your children and their their morals, values, and beliefs is um, is a is a painful thing to consider um, over against whatever sort of physical violence one could do would be done to oneself. So I think, yeah, I think that we are entering into a phase. If not, we've already been here. Where if you are a Christian and you're not concerned and then taking active steps to protect and and defend and equip your neighbor you know your your spouse your kids your your sphere of influence with the necessary tools to withstand uh, an increasingly combative culture then then we're not doing what you need to do i think well, that's yeah i mean the, the christian mall idea was Let's take what the culture is doing and just do it in a Christian way. Right? That's right. Let's That's let's right. take let's take rock and roll and make it Christian. Let's like, let's take uh, the, the bookshop and make Christian. This is mimic what. 90s America has to offer. Well, and that's what the music and, was too. You know, we have right. explicit commands to sing psalms and spiritual songs. And yet what we did was we took like a cover band, Coldplay cover band and like put, G I mean, South Park nailed this back with their faith plus one. They just take the word yeah. baby and replace it with Jesus. And yeah, then right, right. Christian rocket. And it's like, that didn't work. I mean, I think that's where yeah. you, that, we've talked about this before, but I think this is where we are. We are getting the opportunity, sadly in some cases and exciting in others to, to have uh, 
have 40 years or so of data from which we can draw our, our assessment and our future um, direction. And we can say some of it worked, but a lot of it uh, needs to be rethought. You know, the youth ministry culture, the missional mindset, the uh, church growth strategies, all these things um, simply played into uh, the hands of an increasingly unbelieving culture. And so when the wind of Obergefell, you know, just blew through the Christian church, well, hardly any any plant remained to use the parable of the sower, you know, I mean, or, or certainly a lot fewer than we thought. I will say in our in my church, the, most of the kids, not all the kids, but most of the kids are homeschooled and ours are too. Um, and not just homeschool, like let's take what the public schools are doing and do them in our homes, but homeschool usually using uh, you know, classical school models um, and that sort of thing. And, and like when our kids have interactions with kids who are not, who may be from Christian families, but are tend to go to public school, not always, but I mean, in, in some many cases, it's, a, it's just a complete, it's, it's almost like the cultural difference is dramatic because because being schooled classically, living, growing up in in a in a house that isn't isn't subject to pop culture, you just creates a different way of thinking. Whereas um, I think most public school people, unless unless the parents are really careful, and some parents are really careful, unless the parents are really careful to to in, to analyze what they're learning, counteract it where necessary be sure to communicate hey, we're of a different tribe than this than this yeah and uh then you're going to have kids who just really bought into in large part some of the cultural assumptions that are just corrosive to the christian faith with regard to the what what the way um the the, the human person in america perceives as truth for example I, I think it's just a common way of looking at the world where or looking at the, the truth where if you ask uh, if you ask an American, uh, the average American in the street, especially if, he's, if the person's 20 or under, how you know this is true, the answer is going to be, I'm, you know, I'm looking with myself and this feels true to me. This resonates with me. So this is, this is my truth. I, 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 that is, I think, the norm now. And it hasn't been um, so much, in, at least in, in past generations. So you're going to have this increasingly wide gap between kids who are raised in, in, in a classically Christian way and kids who are not. Um, and I think that's going to widen and widen and widen. Yes. I think as recently as three or four years ago, if you had asked me why I had my kids in public school, which I did, I don't anymore, but I think other than the sort of just normalcy of having been raised and educated in public school myself, I would have said probably something about, being salt and light in the world, trying to be a witness to the culture. And there's a real, I think, a sad irony there in that I think many people, and I, I suspect that this was true of my family too, that almost when you really dig under the surface is like subconsciously how we think that we're impacting the world is by our participation in public education, but we're not standing up at parent-teacher conferences and <laughs> making statements at these meetings. What we're doing is sort of entrusting that to our kids, apparently, and that's bananas. You know, like you, you, you send somebody to swim with the sharks only after, one, they know how to swim, 
and That's two, right. you've constructed a stainless steel cage around <laughs> them. Right. Right. And here we we were for all these years sending our kids out as though they were the missionaries into the shark infested waters and saying like, good luck, kid. We're praying for you. That's right. Jesus. And I, think, I, you know, I don't want to say that I mean, we, we shouldn't say that, you know, parents right now, if you're listening and you have your kids in, in public school, that you're, I mean, every, every different school districts are different. And, and I was only speaking and, for myself. Yeah, no, yeah, me too. Yeah. And different, and different families are different. So you might, I mean, I, I, we have a couple of families in our church that, that do have their kids in public school and they're great families and they're great kids. They, they've done a good, a good job of helping them weave through uh, the, the water, the shark infested waters. But in general, I think you're right. I think it's, I think, and, and, and I think you're going to be increasingly right as the years go on, I think that the public school system is going to be even exactly. more and more impossible well, place for Christian kids to be. Yeah, I mean, I think exactly the, what you're describing, Matt, is, is if a parent is, is willing to take the time to, to legitimately not just educate the child, but themselves about the, the challenges that the child is going to face, you know, the, I mean, get into the syllabi, get into the um, after school, like know who their friends are, you know, that's, that's a worthy endeavor and it, it can be done. The problem is, is that many people have these unquestioned assumptions or naive assumptions, even um, that they, they just, haven't thought through or haven't been challenged by it's you know i see as we're talking about it, it's very similar to the um seeker sensitive church movement you know where people said we need to you know love the city we need to be out in the in the in the um in the community which is all true you know we need to be out in the marketplace we need to be in the the cultural centers if we can but if you're naive to the extent to which you yourself are drawn into um, as it were, a pagan world, you know, like the Canaanite, the flesh pots of Egypt were like a thing, right? I mean, people liked them, you know, and so if you if you aren't prepared and steeled ahead of time to realize that you need you would need some some similarly serious humility, uh, prayerful consideration, and a, and a genuine defensiveness before you you went out into these places, well, then don't be surprised as we've seen. You know, I mean, Hillsong is the most recent example. We see it all throughout the rest of uh, many of these churches um, are very easily co-opted and quickly by the prevailing winds of culture, even though I guarantee you initially, or at least I would hope to believe, I have no reason to think otherwise, that initially there was a genuine heartfelt sort of missional idea about their, um, you know, appropriating the, the whatever the, the um the cultural um, symbols of, of where, wherever they were going into. And I think, um, you know, we, this is another thing where we can be chastened by history and by results to say, you know, we can't, we don't have to disparage people's initial motives, but we can look at the fruit or lack thereof and say enough is enough. I mean, I think that's where we are is that there, you know, the exceptions that we can all point to do not prove the rule because the rule is the nuns, and the people who grew up in 2000 pop culture, secret sensitive youth groups are amongst the, you know, vocal ex-evangelical Twitter Roddy, Twitter Roddy, um, um, and are more than happy to make fun of all this stuff. And, um, and some of it's, in fact, quite contemptible, but, but, I mean, not, but not the faith, obviously, but some of the uh, other trappings, you know, I think. I remember, we, yeah, I remember, back in, I remember back in 2012, um, 2011, 2012, uh, the Gospel Coalition, I think, was just getting started, the uh, TGF. And I thought, oh, this is a good kind of answer to the uh, to the seeker-sensitive movement because it's, it's, it's incorporating, you know, kind of cultural coolness. But it's but it's uh, instead of bending over uh, doctrinally 
and 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 kind of just saying what the seeker wants to hear, you're also like being really firm on your doctrine. So maybe this is this would be the way to go. Um, and and I didn't believe him when he wrote it. I wrote the, I read this essay back in 2012, and I didn't I didn't agree with him. Um, with Carl Truman. Uh, oh yeah, it, it's it's been going around. This this quote uh, has been going around that that he that he that he gave about around that time. He wrote an essay, um, and uh, where is this? There, here it is. The, <laughs> the uh, you do really kid yourselves if you think you can be orthodox an orthodox Christian and be at the same time cool enough and hip enough to cut it in the wider world. Frankly, in a couple of years, it will not matter how much or urban ink you sport how much fair trade coffee you drink, how many craft brews you, you can name, how much urban gibberish you spout, how many art house movies you can find that, re that Redeemer figure in, and how much money you divert from gospel preaching to social justice. Maintaining biblical sexual ethics will be the equivalent in our culture of being a white supremacist. Now, that's kind of prophetic. I and mean, that's even before, before that language of white supremacist was being used just routinely for conservatives. And but that's real. That's true. There, there's the, the 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 route that Mark Driscoll and others took the 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 neo reform neo Calvinist movement. Well, I mean, it just it had some assumptions about about the redeem the redeemability of pop culture that I think we need to not not embrace. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, when you when you go down that road, you road you're 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 going to at least in our culture, not maybe not in every culture. Maybe there are cultures that are less far gone as ours. Uh, I think if you get on that road in our culture, you're going to be subverted. Um, you're going to be you're gonna you uh, you're gonna you're 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 straddling a line that you can't straddle for a long time because the gap is so wide and widening. Yeah. Now my church members are listening to this and wondering does that mean that all of my sermons that use a illustration from a film are somehow leading them down the path to destruction yes, is that, is that yes, what you're yeah. saying this don't, is actually an intervention no one can watch movies next, that's no right <laughs> this is an inter no they can watch movies and matt you need to tell your family apologetic i think we've mentioned yeah, it before, yeah. but it's wonderful uh, and it's apropos to this intro here because um it's about the Disneyfication of the of the uh, you know of the of the world. Um, but tell them what you do when you 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 go through and talk about the how would you turn this this story into a Disney right. story? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's such a great so so. <laughs> so when you're we're, we um, we'll we'll work we'll talk about a Bible passage and we'll say okay, if this were if this were a, a Disney movie how would you how would you reenact this so, so take the, the prodigal son for example okay kids this is a, the prodigal son you're you're mate you're you're a disney executive how would you pitch it and so and so uh i didn't make this up i think it was aiden my my, my oldest son says all right there's a younger brother living in his house and his father wants him to be a farmer but he really he really wants to dance yeah, that's right. He just wants to be a dancer. Dance. And, and right. his father won't let him dance because his father's trying to impose on him, you know, his 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 strict um, religion and his his farming. And so finally the son has enough and he steals away. He runs away in the middle of the night and he takes some of his father's money and he goes to a far country and he builds a dance studio. And he becomes a famous dancer. He finds a woman who gets he gets married. They're little kids there, but he teaches them how to dance. They're having a great life. That's so old-fashioned um, if you find yeah, a woman. Yeah, and then the father and then the father comes to find the son because he misses his son. And he he lo and behold he 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 winds up at the dance studio and he sees his son dancing, 
and his children, his grandchildren dancing in a, in a single tear <laughs> falls down his cheek. <laughs> And he realizes that he's been wrong. He comes to his right mind. And um, his little Grinch he, heart yeah. grew four sizes too big. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells his son, I'm sorry I didn't let you be you. I, you know, you, I, I, tried to, I tried to keep you from being your authentic self. And I want you to dance, son. And then everything ends. Maybe. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so that's so that, yeah. So the whole idea of the exercise is to, uh, how how would our how would our what our, our culture would not get the prodigal son right because the bad the dad has to be the bad guy not the good guy That's right. um, the 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 impositions from the outside world onto the son have to be the have to be the problem and our and our kids have gotten that and they, and they can they've watched enough Disney before this I'm not watching Disney anymore um, yeah. they they watched enough Disney to know how how Disney kind of plays into the cultural story. Well, it's important. I mean, it's a perfect example of how we actually live something like, I think, Rod's idea of the Benedict option in and amongst a, a hostile culture. Because, you know, I think Laza said it best in the in the previous stand firm um, uh, when she talked about the, the there's no like neutral consequence to living a lie. There's a negative consequence to believing a lie and there's a negative there's a positive consequence to to um, to rejecting it. And similarly speaking, you know, the culture is actually saying something about truth and beauty and goodness, um, you know, whether it's it's what you make of it, whether it's come from within, whatever the case is. And we have to equip ourselves first and then disciple our neighbor um, to understand that the not just there is no neutral stance on these questions and that the ones that are persisting in the rejection of God's truth are, are bringing um, wrath upon themselves, are actually living the, the just deserts of their, of their lives. And so that's where, what, what I mean by that is that if we can begin to not frighten our children, but to explain to them that, you know, when you base your understanding of reality on God and his word and his revealed um, nature and through his son, then that begins to set up a, a structure that um, is, is sustainable, it is uh, resilient, it is uh, strong and firm, you know, as opposed to uh, the alternative, which we see being, um, you know, manifesting in all other levels of culture about truth is relative and morality is subjective and, and, and on down the line, you know, what is a woman? Well, who knows, you know, this is, and the, the, the effect of that, we need to be able to, to pinpoint, not in a self-righteous manner, but in simply a diagnostic way, and then equip them to, to be able to, to actually see it for what it is and articulate the, the hope that they have over against um, the lie that they're witnessing. And I think that's, Something that I found to be woefully lacking, even in adult Christians that I've run into in the various churches we've served, not not exclusively, uh, but many, you know, have, um, you know, I was saying to someone the other day, they're they're they have a, a woefully anemic understanding of God. They have a, a thin um, appreciation of the scriptures. They're afraid of um, having to be asked any question that could be powerfully complicated. And so it's no wonder that when you know these voices get loud around them. They just either cower or retreat, and that's not an option for us anymore. If you are intent upon um, raising up a child in the way he should go, you know, and I think that could be a child, literally speaking, like your own young children. It could be a child in the faith, you know, like Timothy or or Titus. In which case, um, a fifty-year-old could be nevertheless need in need of being um, discipled in this way. And I think it's incumbent, particularly upon ministers, to be conversant with the culture 
in a loving yet defensive and diagnostic way so that we can actually fulfill the great commitment uh, commission by bringing the nations into making disciples of the nations. I mean, that's what I think. So again, I'm not expecting overnight success here, you know, but we are living in the, the, the ruins of a Judeo-Christian structure that I don't think we have to necessarily assume that will be totally uh, obliterated and I think that we can still, um, we have the value or, the, or the, the opportunity to, I don't mean this word in any sort of historical theological way, but reconstruct, you know, we can re- reconstruct something of the edifices that we see in, in hopes to, to maintain something of a Christian culture for the sake of, our, of, 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 of the church. I mean, that, that's what my hope is. So, you know, I'm not ready to give up Bro. on on all of the institutions, although some of them are particularly far gone, in which case, you know, um, they may be too far to, to, to save. This is why what we've been talking about for the last two years is <laughs> yeah, exactly. so important, in, 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 especially in the church. I mean, the, 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 way, the way this works is an ideology gets a foothold in the church. And in this case, it's the ideology of, 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 of that binary between oppressed and oppressor it sounds like something that Christians should be interested in because it uses employees words like justice and uh, compassion and mercy for the downtrodden people buy into it. Leaders buy into it. It starts with questions of race. And, and there's certainly things we can point to in our past, in the past of, the, of this nation and in the church where race has been a, uh, has been a dividing thing and, 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 and there has been a lot of oppression surrounding it, but it doesn't stop there because once you buy, once you buy into uh, quote unquote, this woke ideology, you've bought into a way of looking at the world. You bought into a, to a binary way of looking at the world and you're looking for oppressor and you're looking for the oppressed. And that doesn't stop with, that doesn't stop with race. You, once you, once you buy into that ideology, it bleeds over into sexuality too. And, Pretty soon, your entire worldview is shaped by uh, something that grew out of uh, that's rooted in Marxism, and and the, the church, the church will be co-opted and subverted, and that's where we're seeing that happen um, in a number of denominations, the, the PCA, the ACNA. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast. We see that we see the, this thing, this thing, ta- this thing taking place, and I, and it, and it, I think it's born out of just a not just not just because the ideology is is seductive in itself for people who 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 Christians with a sensitive conscience um, with regard to with regard to justice, but also because of because of what you were talking about a minute ago, JD, the the the, the kind of '90s evangelical, '80s evangelical. We have got to find a way to do what the world is doing, but do it in a Christian way. And you know, wokeness is where the world is. So, how do we bring this into the church so that the church, so the people in the world don't think the church is out of touch, uh, and they'll listen to us? In fact, people will tell you this. I mean, we, we've got we've got to uh, study D'Angelo. We've got to study Tisby because that way people will know that we're really concerned about justice and not just closed off traditional, uh, you know, fundamentalist Christians, and they'll and they'll listen to us. Well, the, the the culture is so far gone now. We 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 cannot play that game. We can't play. We can't play the game of. Uh, we're going to do what you're doing, but we're going to be Christians while we're doing it, um, because what the world is doing at this point is antithetical to the Christian faith, and we can't, we can't, we can't buy into it. There's another interesting part of Dreher's Benedict option. I wonder if you guys think that there's a connection here, where he's talking about worship, and he says that a Christian worship service, and I think he would agree that the the church capital C as a whole should be so different 
from the culture outside the doors of the church, that you should walk out of the church service you've just attended thinking, what on earth was that? <laughs> and the idea that it is, is not something from earth, right? So, so there's a sense in which I wonder if um, we can sort of extrapolate from that specific example of worship and to, to suggest that Christian culture, i.e. the church, has always been, when it's working well, so different from the world that it is kind of a, a shock to the system yeah. of anybody who comes into contact with it. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, and, and that's the expert advice in the '80s was, you know, do your demographic study, figure out what, figure out which target audience you want to reach. Right. If you want to reach, if you want to reach your, you know, forty-something professional, to find out what music they're listening to, find out yeah, what play some Peter dressing. Frampton, right? Peter exactly. Frampton the church and should you, be just the the difference between inside the doors and outside the doors should be so little that it should almost be non-existent. Exactly, and and um, and I think that 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 we've we've seen the bankruptcy of that. You 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 don't actually change the culture; you change the church that way, and then you don't and and you may you may uh, win people over to your brand of of showmanship, um, and and end up with a larger church, but you don't end up with a, with a Christian culture, and and so so you know you look look at you know interesting to what you were talking. I was thinking, what would it be like for a person living in Paris in you know 1430 to walk into a church. And it wouldn't be a huge shock because, mm. but the reason, the reason it wouldn't be a huge shock is because the church had conformed the culture. That's right. <laughs> the culture had been transformed by the church by this time. So the reason there wasn't a huge, a, a huge chasm between what was going on in the world and what was going on in the church is because everybody was listening to organ music on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 exactly. Exactly. Um, and so the, and so the seeker sensitive movement wanted to kind of reverse that and they, and 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 have the church be be um, uh, just another 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 outpost of the world, um, and 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 the reason you know fifteenth century Paris is the way it was is because fifth century Christians um, decided not to take the route of let's uh, let's make our let's make our churches look like the culture. Let's, Hey, we can, uh, we can, we can take part in this bacchanal. We're just not going to have the sex or we're going to have grape juice. Right. Right. They were, they were really separate. I mean, these, these Christian communities really separate from the culture and they were hated for it, but they were also, there was something attractive about it as well. well of course. And that's, and that's what I've been teaching about this a lot recently. Um, going back to, you know, the promise to Abraham that he'd be a blessing, um, you know, that, that through him would come the blessing for the world. And then Jesus, you know, fulfilling this promise and then sending his disciples to make disciples of all nations can, you know, teaching them all that I've taught you. And the idea from the beginning was that we were intended to be um, a uh, leaven, uh, a good leaven, you know, to leaven the lump of pagan cultures. Like when we moved in next door, you know, we mowed our grass and we started painting the shutters and we took the trash out and we brought pie next door. And, you know, if that was something totally foreign and crazy, well, then so be it. I mean, you know, but I mean, that's a that's a somewhat silly example, although very practical. But, you know, if you look in a meta scale, you know, you have a culture of people that that um, worship the same God, that, that followed the Sabbath, honor their father and mother, didn't lie, you know, that developed a culture where lying was to be, you know, frowned upon. I mean, these are, these are not things 
I mean, Tom Holland, you know, yeah. of all people, the atheist is the guy in Dominion who who lays this out. Like he just shows how these are not we take for granted how, quote unquote, self-evident. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created, you know, endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. Well, that was self-evident in a way back then that is increasingly mm-hmm. not so now, although what supposedly is self-evident is all of these acts of mercy and justice and human rights and all these things, which are totally dependent upon an, a, a world and a, and a culture and a set of convictions that are, are non-existent in a sort of Spartan. postmodern. Yeah. That's right. And yet, so this is where we find ourselves. That's why I actually hope I have some hope for the, this evangelistic moment to I me, mean, maybe a revival in the sense that that you, you know, we do not have to be on our back feet or defensive with respect to the culture, because almost without exception, the good things that people like about our culture are things that have, they've been, they've been augmented and in many cases, um, um, sort of bastardized, but nevertheless, the roots of them lie in something good about the Judeo-Christian, um, understanding to the world you know the all this just all this discussion of rights you know well where do rights come from like we don't just the government gives them to you well you know let's talk about that because we actually believe that that human beings are, are unique and endowed and and distinct because god created them you know now we may have a disagreement about what that then gives you the right to do but nevertheless i mean there's and down the list of things um, and my suggestion, you know, beginning with your own self and then your your neighbor, your congregation, your kids is to is to raise them up, not in a triumphalistic way, but in a in a confident way to know that the, the great questions and the, the supposed contradictions of life that, that Christians have to handle are nothing compared to the questions and contradictions that a, a non-Christian worldview has to handle. You know, the questions like we know where love is, we know what love is and who love is, you know, we know what truth is we know what the meaning of justice is we know what goodness truth and beauty is you know we know what these things are and again we hold them as recipients not as creators but nevertheless we have a lot to offer and so when we get into conversations with people who are saying well you christians you know xyz or this thing or that i mean yes we have some some things that we have to consider um deeply and have some some intellectual work to do but it's nothing in an actual defensive way uh, over against what people are trying to just foist upon a meaningless world some sort of meaning of their own creation and that's just like it's well it's like we've been talking about with all the, the transgender stuff and everything like there's a lot of passion and fire and anger behind that because it's it's not true you know i mean truth is not anxious you know or defensive or shrill because it's just simply true you know um but you know i don't have to argue i don't get defensive when someone questions the reality of gravity you know it's like well it's very easily to prove that but if someone questions my gender identity because um i'm i'm confused at a deep deep level well then i need you to stop talking because you're making me very very angry very quickly and i think that's where we are as a as a, as a church, we can be first Peter three sixteen with gentleness and humility, but nevertheless um, committed to the defense of the hope that we have. And we say, look, we're not trying to heap further condemnation on you, but we have a, a hope that transcends just our own subjective sense of self. And if you really want to know, I'd be love to talk to you about it. And, you know, they may say no, but they might be like some of the philosophers in the Athenian, you know, Mars Hill and stick around and say, what's this all about, Paul? And, you know, I think that's going to be the guerrilla, you know, door to door evangelism of the 21st century that we're going to all need to be engaged in um, for the sake of the lost. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the confusion, you know, I don't know if you read the Kevin DeYoung. Oh, it was amazing. It was yeah. well done. <laughs> he, he wrote an article largely about the, the transgender thing, but he didn't, he wasn't making any argument. He was just kind of articulating the, the common way of thinking about men and women that, that people just embrace without think without thought. Um, and just writing the writing the, the popular oh. phrases down one by one, all the opposing things that are allegedly yeah. true at the same time. We being a woman, I'm really part of. But being a woman has many challenges. That's why it's important we protect women and make them feel safe. Except in restrooms and locker rooms and in prisons, then it's okay for women to feel unsafe around men because everyone knows those men are really women. It's also worth remembering that men and women don't have to look a certain way. But if a man becomes a woman, he should definitely pick a woman's name and try not to look That's masculine funny. anymore. I mean, if there were such a thing as masculinity, because obviously there isn't, but sometimes there is, and then it's completely toxic. <laughs> so, it's great. It was really. It goes on and on like that. That's in world yeah. opinions. If anybody yeah. wants to go find it, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we all need to despair. Of course, we know this because. Uh, because Jesus is coming back, and when He comes back, all of the all of the lies that uh, are presently overwhelming um, people in our society will be shown to be lies. Um, and so we, you know, I, I, we don't have to. If our if our culture goes down to the dust, it won't be the first that's happened for, and it won't be the last. Maybe uh, depending how soon between before Jesus comes back. But we do have uh, that ultimate hope that in the end Jesus wins, and we know. <laughs> And, uh, and regardless of what happens in our particular time and our particular culture, we're going to be with him forever. Um, so our, our aim needs to be training, raising up our children and, uh, and, and preaching in our churches in a way that binds people's uh, souls to Jesus and, and that will keep them therefore in the truth, um, and inoculated from the lies. Amen. Well, amen and amen. That is all the time that we have this week. Uh, we'd love for you to keep the conversation going with us. You can do so by being in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. We are, as always, grateful that you took the time to listen today. Thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we'll be back next week, Lord willing. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 o